You're listening to All Ears with Somewhere Soul. Welcome to episode 13 of the All Ears podcast. This is Josh Mason, and today I'm joined by producer, writer, and rapper Shinaji. After releasing her debut EP last year titled Midnight Movie, Shinaji has gone on to become a roundhouse resident as well as being awarded funding from the Mobile Help Musicians Fund. Her follow-up EP titled Blue Melon drops later this month. And throughout the episode, we talk about Giles Peterson's Future Bubblers program, diversity in the arts, music festivals, and lots more. Shinaji, thanks so much Hello. for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really nice in here. Sure yes, yeah, a lovely studio, all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah shout it's out really to Big nice. Bird. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. how's, your, um, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been actually really hectic. So I've got uh, Not Looking... This is a single off Blue Melon coming out um, next week. So I've been like doing a lot of prep on that and like submitting to distributors. And I've been doing all the artwork myself, which just adds oh, like nice. an extra layer of stress because you have to please yourself at the same time. And it's just hard, but yeah. You've always done your own artwork for No, so for Midnight Movie, it was my friend Baby Besso. So she's a visual artist and poet. And she did that. Uh, those illustrations which I think were really cool um, and this year you know she had a lot of commitments a lot of deadlines uh, so I couldn't work with her and because my dream and idea was burst I just thought okay I'll just do it myself because I don't know if I can like manage to you know figure out something with someone else and have a vision so I just thought okay I'll pick my own brain um, so yeah I just started making artwork for my music and obviously with that comes all the like web design, kind of band cam, theme design. But yeah, it, it went pretty well. So it sounds, on, sounds like you're pretty um, like hands-on with your releases. Are you doing most of it uh, yeah. yeah, Yeah, so I'm, um, I do obviously like the production, like pre-production stuff. And this year I've been working like with the band as well. So I'm pretty much been my own manager so far. And yeah, I manage like all my social media um, on my different accounts. I almost forgot to like upload Nighthawks to Bandcamp because it was on all distributors. But obviously Bandcamp you have to do manually. Mm. Um, so it was like a draft and I didn't publish it. And it's just that kind of thing of like when you're managing an entire release and it's really overwhelming, you yeah, know, because yeah. then you also have to like go to work and stuff. But yeah, I've been managing. <laughs> do you like the idea of having someone do those sort of things for you or do you like the fact that you're doing it all yourself and you're really hands-on at the moment um I've been thinking about that actually uh you know because I've had like different people approach me as well um booking agents and like managers I think it will take off like a lot of pressure and stress but at the same time I'm like you have to cc me in every email just because I'm that kind of person like I need to know <laughs> yeah. what's going on you know I'm not I'm not the kind of artist that just wants to turn up and do a show but at the same time like I want to be able to casually read through stuff and like get emails but not have to reply to them <laughs> that <makes sense. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the dream <laughs> so yeah yeah so Nighthawks that was, is that part of the forthcoming yeah. EP? Yeah, that's the first single from it, right? Yeah, so I, I thought I'd do two singles just because I wanted to release Nighthawks earlier in April. I just had all, you know, this new material. I thought, you know, I want to put something out in the world and also get some feedback mm -hmm. to keep making new music. And then I also thought because of my EP launch on the 16th of May, I might 
as well, like release another single, not, uh, not looking. And because it's a short track, it's like a minute 40 seconds and it's like a little skit kind of thing. I thought it would just be that's cool, like a nice little gem. It's nice to see people still doing like intros and skits and yeah. interludes and stuff like that. Definitely. Like I, I like songwriting. I like more kind of horizontal songwriting, but I still think that, you know, there's something about at least my music that's quite spontaneous and like if something is short I'm not going to extend it for no reason like sometimes things are just the way they are and that was the idea behind it and you know I didn't want to squeeze anything that wasn't there out of it yeah 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 so when did you first start um writing I guess what was sort of your earliest some of your earliest memories of music um so earliest well obviously I you know you start listening to music as a child like what's around you and then I guess when I got actually into the internet and I was quite a geeky girl so I would spend a lot of time online uh and like making blogs and you know myspace posts and whatever that's when I started collecting music and I remember it used to be on email which I don't know if anyone remembers it's called what email do you know email no I never heard of it well it's like a torrent thing okay, where you yeah. basically could download any possible like music so like, so pi- like pirate bay yeah, yeah like pirate yeah. bay but it was actually an app like you use it's like a software that you put on your computer and then it, you can search stuff on there directly so that's where i started like downloading stuff obviously not gray <laughs> i think well most people listening i'm sure but you know <laughs> at the end of the day like streaming doesn't really like help as much financially either so in a lot of ways I guess free the free market <laughs> and and that's how I found out a lot of my music and then through that um I started as well like just writing songs when I was studying guitar I must have been like 12 or 13 and I used to record a lot of stuff like in my room so I got a mic I remember my first mic I think it was what was it? Like Beringer. I had a Beringer little mixer and then I had this mic and I used to record like just everything through the same dynamic mic yeah. <laughs> uh, and just put it on MySpace music. So I think some stuff is still online. but Still um, online? Yeah, but I haven't been able to play because MySpace had some weird thing. And yeah, I Because I looked up MySpace the other day, just I was like, I wonder if they still exist. And I was like, yeah. oh, they actually still Yeah, it exists, going. but I don't know I about... I wasn't really sure what it was though servers and something like you know all the information that was uploaded i don't know i think it was lost Uh so so yeah but you're just saying that as a (laughs) (laughs) cover-up i'm not sure but yeah that's what i used to do so i i used to love recording myself and like cover songs kimia dosen and like moldy peaches cat power i used to like like Mm. acoustic music so. so it's mainly like covers and stuff you're just putting out there yeah and then like starting you know making my own songs i kind of taking inspiration by like chords and you know progressions from other artists so yeah that's how it started nice and at what point did i'm assuming then you were just singing yeah i was singing and like did like rapping come into the sort of picture uh, so i think okay i had this like weird idea when i was maybe 17 or 18 and i decided like i really want to make like write something I used to love like hip-hop and rap anyway and I thought rap was so cool like how people could fit so many words in like a few seconds <laughs> yeah I remember when I was younger just listening to Twister and going like how's he, do- how's he doing that? <laughs> can I do this yeah. um so 
I was messing around with Fruity Loops because, mm-hmm. again, I spend a lot of time on my computer. I used to like video games. I like technology in general. So I think just having, like, I used to work on Photoshop and stuff like that um, to design my websites. So music production was, like, an extension of that. So I started making some beats and, you know, you get, like, inbuilt loops and, yeah, and yeah. plugins. So I just messed with that. And even then, I used to use, like, samples from stuff that I used to hear around. And then I just started writing. It was not good, but it was a start. <laughs> Who's, is that your, you saying it's not good based on what you're writing now or? Well, yeah, I think just like, even now, I mean, that was back in high school. And then I just stopped, did my law degree. And about a year and a half ago, two years ago, yeah, a year and a half ago, I started writing again and producing seriously. So what were you writing about? What sort of things were you writing about before? At just, the time? Yeah. Just like kind of diss tracks, you know, because that was kind of the stereotype of like strong, punchy rap mm-hmm. verses. So I was just trying to like say witty stuff, which I guess is still handy. I didn't have like a topic of discussion. But even when I picked it up again and decided to be serious about it, my bars were really whack. <laughs> like, they were, I was just like, and I put it in a cap with a hat and in a mat. You know, I was just trying to like put it together. Yeah. But it well, was It must be start. daunting to like start rapping. Yeah, it is. Because everyone's like, you know, you listen to artists, you listen to like... It's such know. a niche thing when you think about it. Yeah. Like being a rapper. Exactly. And you, you think like, you listen to other artists as reference and like, what are they saying? How do you make a like cool rap song? And it's crazy, like Snoop Dogg, you know, it's just like, wow, I don't even have this in my brain. You know, how do you get to that point where your brain is putting together these thoughts and similitudes and similitudes, similes? I don't know, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) you know, poetic devices, Mm -hmm. basically. And it is a study and it just takes like time and practice and like even reading in the dictionary can help. Mm. So I just started doing that more frequently um, and then got better gradually. And then so did the focus switch more towards rapping than sort of singing or? Yeah. And you were just like, this is, I prefer this or you just found yourself getting better at it? What was it? You were more interested in it? What was it that made you sort of focus on that? I think because I was a smoker for a long time. So I started smoking maybe when I was like 13. I was just angsty and I listened to a lot of punk rap. And it was just cool, you know, mm-hmm. to be a smoker. Anyway, so that really impacted my voice. But I used to sing uh, in choirs and like in my church's choir at the time when I was practicing a religion. And I always had something for singing and like accompanying myself with guitar. But then I guess because of the smoking, it had such an impact, you know, my lungs and like my breathing that undermined my confidence as a vocalist as well. Mm. So rap was a way of expressing myself, which was new. I felt that it did resonate with me also. So it's a separate thing and I respect it and it's equal to. But I guess, yeah, when I did start making music, that was my you know, more confident thing that I didn't have to struggle with in terms Mm. of my relationship to it. Um, But I've quit smoking now. So, you know, it's been really like about rediscovering my voice and, you know, taking singing lessons. So it's been really good. Oh, nice. So would you think you will be singing and rapping? Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Because I really like it and I've like rediscovered the power of like vocals 
um, in harmonizing also on beats. And it's actually really cool, like how many things you could do without using any other instrument than your voice in a song, um, just to create layers and mm. textures and then using, you know, maybe technology to also edit those sounds. So it's definitely something that I want to, you know, have control over and and be confident in and then see how that fits in like mm. my workflow. Wow, you're a powerhouse. Pretty amazing singing, rapping, producing, doing the artwork. We'll try. It's pretty inspiring. <laughs> we'll try. I'm just like, ah, I don't trust nobody. <laughs> That's partly, That's partly, I guess, why I go into like trying to learn things myself. But that's a trait that I learned from my mother who raised me. And it's about, you know, she always used to tell me like, well, there's an Italian saying that says, Chissà fare anche comandare which means those who know how to do something can also instruct other people to basically help them do that. Mm -hmm. So I think having a knowledge of like music production or like editing videos or making artwork also means that when I work with somebody who does that for me in the future, maybe, or wants to collaborate with me, I can also have that like level discussion about, oh, you know, this is my vision. This is how mm -hmm. I do it. And I think it's it's just really useful. You know, I, I've never thought of being a rapper who, you know, gets other people to just make beats for them all the time and other people to make artwork. And it's just kind of like a figure there, you know, or an mm -hmm. idol. Like I, I want to be involved in the creative process. So I think. Yeah, you don't just want to wander into the studio and like, what's lay down on? a verse. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Give me like a dark sound. <laughs> like, no, I want to explain, you know, this is how I do it or like add this effect. And in music, I think it really helps. I think it's really important uh, for young women to get into music production as well mm. is very accessible and it's all about believing that you can do it and like having other figures and like points of reference that mm. show you that it's actually an accessible thing for women to do as well yeah especially with how much there is online like yeah. available resources as yeah you don't really have that much of an excuse if you want to learn something like it's just that you've, you've got the time then there's oh my god what, what's his name um, basically it's this guy who does a lot of tutorials on Ableton and um, it's like a puppet. I don't remember. It's like the coolest puppet in the game or whatever. And he just has like this hand puppet and he's really good at explaining Ableton. But basically, you know, sometimes things can be quite fun as well and really instant, you know, if you, you're stuck on something, you know, even experienced producers who don't know how to achieve an outcome, and just go online but it is like it takes time you've got to sit through the video go back to the video so and it's a lot of time in front of a screen mm. most of the time which can be tiring and it's not for everyone definitely yeah definitely so is that what you use ableton i use ableton i used to use uh, logic pro x and before that reason five with cubase five i've used a few reason that's interesting i hardly ever hear anyone say they use reason. i know it was a it was like a cracked version that i got of somebody so yeah. that's how I started I was just like okay let's start and actually I really like Reason because you have the whole hardware bit and you can see all the cables which is something that like you basically have the interface of the whole digital audio workstation as if it was that like as if it were you know all connected mm -hmm. um, in analog so I think that's really helpful to understand how things actually interact and like sends and channels and yeah, I, I liked it, but it was a bit outdated for me after a while. So Logic was cool. And then Ableton, Free Future Bubblers. 
Um, uh, okay, yeah. They have like a really good relationship with Ableton. So we got complimentary Ableton access. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then they upgraded us to 10. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it well, was really the perfect good. Um, segue, really, because I was going to ask, for those who don't know, um, yeah, if you just talk about what the Future Bubblers program is, how you got selected and what it was... Yeah. What it was like, really. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> um, so Future Bubbles is a talent development program. It is um, funded as a talent development partner by PRS for Music, um, alongside other uh, charities and organizations like Drake Music, for example. And what they do is every year they have a new cohort and everyone's selected, you know, based on merit. And it's all about fostering, you know, new artists emerging artists and what they want to do and especially in kind of left field genres and experimental genres and I was in year three uh, so for example year one had artists like Yasmin Lacey um, and I was in year three last year alongside other artists like Kayla Painter uh, Aliyah Esprit and really talented New Tribe as well they're all great everyone's really great and they just provided like mentorship for an entire year but also beyond because even though I'm not formally in the Future Bubbles this year they've helped me massively and all our, all their channels are still open to me and like promoting my music through them so it's been really amazing uh, just in terms of providing that insight into for example things like PPL like PRS like royalties and understanding those technicalities you know they set up workshops for us set up like a band camp workshop so you know understanding how to promote your music online so just kind of giving you that background into how to make the most of certain tools and platforms when you're an independent artist and what was the sort of contact time like how often would you sort of speak to people how often would you do workshops and things like that is it like an intense year um, or is it quite relaxed it's quite relaxed yeah. also because it's from all across england i'm not sure where else in the uk but it's not just like a london-based thing so even though browns were recording worldwide fm and future bubblers are based in london all the you know different bubblers come from different cities so i guess it's quite hard to like have a lot of things happening mm. all the time to get people there but i would say you know every few months you will have like a main event and then we'll do shows um other kind of highlights throughout the year so it's quite organized as a calendar and in terms of contact time and interaction i was and i'm still on an email with amy and selassie at worldwide and brownswood pretty much every week if not every day <laughs> <laughs> um that's just because i send a lot of emails as well but you know it's pretty it's pretty full on and um, you also get uh, a mentor. So my mentor at the time was Eric Lau, um, who's a beat maker wow. as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, we had like exchanges as well. I think that as a bubbler, I was quite independent. Like I found my own way, my own sound. But he definitely like provided me with some good feedback on like, my music obviously I just started making music when I applied to Future Bubber so I just send my music online and they yeah, so how do you it. apply you just you just send them like, yeah. some tracks or a yeah. bit about you just some tracks uh, some socials handles whatever but mainly just tracks I think you get to submit four tracks or something like that um, and all of them were unreleased music that I just started making so <laughs> I listened back to that playlist and I was like oh my god 
They must have really seen something in this. I'm so hard on myself. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> I mean, but, they must have like thousands of people. Yeah, that's why. And right. how many do they take on each year? Eight. Yeah, I mean, it can't, have been, it can't have been that bad, that's for sure. No, definitely. <laughs> but it's hard because obviously when you just started, you know, now I think my music's like in a better place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it is, it's not always about, you know, that perfection and like, being polished in like your presentations I think sometimes it is even the rawness of something mm-hmm. and the idea behind it that comes through so I guess they they saw that and, and really liked it and what was the how do they sort of leave it after a year what's the end product Is, was the EP sort of off the back of uh, the future, future Bolivar's program or that's a good question so the EP was still self-released so I still self-released it and that was actually halfway through my bu- like Bubbler's journey so they helped me just promote it and, you know, put it all out there. After, I think, you know, we still get kind of gigs and events, especially around like Brownswood and Worldwide FM, like opportunities on air. I think the way it was left is like the door's still open. Just contact us and obviously future associated events. Like we're always kind of considered for those. Um, but yeah, it's more like kind of a support mm. thing and like, now, actually, good question. Uh, there's going to be a vinyl release uh, under Brownswood Recordings, which is a Future Bubblers 3.0. So that's year free Bubblers. So every year they have like a vinyl release. Yeah. So I'm going to be working on that and having like a new version of Nighthawks. Oh, nice. With like a string section. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I just have ideas. I don't yeah. really know how to execute them, but I'm like, this is going to be cool. Let's just do it. Mm. We got funding for that. And so, yeah, I guess this this vinyl is going to be the next step as an alumna. Nice. That's cool. So now you've um, sort of flown the Future Bubbers nest and you're sort of in, in the industry. Um, obviously, the topic of this podcast is diversity in the arts. Um, is that something you've always sort of had on your radar and been aware of before you've been in the industry or is, is it something that sort of became very apparent to you since entering the industry? Well, it's always been in my life. I grew up in Italy, so I don't know if you've been, but... Only to like Tuscany, like in the mountains. It's all the same in a way, like <laughs> in terms of that, you know, it's like there were times in my life where I was the only black person in my school. So that's obvious. You know, you just have that obvious thing of like, if I was in here, there would be no racial diversity at all. So I always had that like in my experience. Um, I did law school. So even, you know, in the legal sector, it's not like you see loads of black judges or like loads of women judges or like loads of poor law students. You know, it is quite specific and like exclusive so I I knew Mm -hmm. it about that I think what really surprises me about the music industry is that it doesn't appear as much especially certain genres like hip-hop R&B you know that are quite open to people of color so it doesn't seem as much from the outside but then when you go and look at like leadership roles Mm. and roles of more influence you start realizing it's not very different than any other thing that I've experienced yeah. in my life. This is what I found because I was I was obviously doing some research for the podcast and I was so shocked to see some of the statistics. Yeah. It doesn't appear as, as obvious like, as yeah. other sectors. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's 
part of like the sit is the same explanation. Like when you ask like, why is the music as diverse as it should be? It's the same as like, why isn't the legal sector as diverse? And the same as like any other sector really. And I mean, I did a lot of research and actually my dissertation is about, in the university, was about, you know, diversity and like justice um, in like protected characteristics like gender and class and race. And I think that, you know, it is a all, it's a very old story. I think the power structures are made in a certain way. And, you know, when there are certain requirements for people to be high up in certain positions uh, or like owning companies or just being part of like the gatekeeper network. And I think that for a lot of ethnic minority people, there isn't as much access, but just like from earlier in life, it's like a lifelong experience because where you go to school matters, you know, who your family is matters. And who your friends are matters and all of this then trickles into like the music sector of like adult people having fun you know it's all about background and like where you come from and I just don't see that all these pathways are like available to everybody but then yeah obviously you can be an artist and be a black woman artist um but is just like such a difficult topic because even in venues and like in events that I've played, my audience is not very diverse. Mm. You know, like in venues, legit, when I go and play a show, like it's it's extraordinary. I don't see a lot of people necessarily who reflect my characteristics in my audiences. So it's all a question of like the venues and the marketing and the tickets and the prices and like, all of this together, you know, the way things are advertised. Mm. Um, it can be quite exclusive, but I don't really have an answer as to like mm. how to make it more diverse, whether in the workforce and like in the audiences and like the kind of targets uh, of marketing. Like, I, I don't know. Well, even when I think when, even when you strip it back to like, you start with school. Yeah. I think it's still in many cases somewhat of a luxury when you're young to be able to take the arts oh definitely and you have like parents being like oh yeah like yeah sure go like paint sing forever yeah yeah that's that's very that's a very valid point because even me like growing up I never thought like I always had music as a hobby but from my background like my parents priorities was to have me like open those doors for me where I could have a job and like support myself. Um, Cause we just didn't have like that amount of money that I could do without that. So that's really important actually, you know, paths and especially I think at least culturally, I know that a lot of people from my same background and like I was born in Nigeria, even though I don't have like very strong ties because I grew up in Italy, but I know a lot of like Nigerian friends who, just come from like a total different upbringing where you've got to do certain careers. And, but then even in those careers, it's not as open, you know, you don't mm-hmm. have, so it's, it's hard. The arts is just a separate discussion, I think, but overall, I think it stems from the same kind of institutionalized racism where people of color aren't necessarily taken as seriously for certain roles or assume that cannot, 
achieve in the certain positions. But then diversity as well is not just race. So it's, as we said, like class. So like if, if you're poor and you can't afford certain things, then you're just not going to be part of those environments. And then, you know, gender as well. Mm. Uh, and disability too. I was shocked by, I got sent a track um, for um, the blog to for consideration and the press release was about how it's by a disabled girl. And I was like, wow, this is the first yeah. track I've ever received that is from someone with a disability. Yeah. And, I was just like, and then again, I was looking at the report and the, the amount of people in the whole workforce who say they have a disability compared to the amount of people working in the music workforce with a disability is just it is, it's crazy. It's, it's really it's so, so low. It's really low. And in fact, it's really good that you brought up uh, disability as well. I was just talking with a, a very dear friend um, recently uh, who is disabled. Um, and we were talking about that in music. I think it's especially ignored. I work in disabilities by day. Mm. Uh, so like uh, disability charities. And it's really interesting how in that sense, like, disabled people in the arts are like made to be invisible a lot even when it comes to like venues and accessibility in venues I think a lot of things aren't are ignored and like there's not as much accessibility even in like applications like online applications uh being able to make certain venues or like going to certain festivals you know so it's not very inclusive in that sense and it's like there's a model person that can do really well and they have none of these protected characteristics. Like the less you have, the better off you are. Mm. Um, and But at the same time, it's really important to note that, you know, like disabled is something that you are made to be by other people. It's not something that's like inherent in you, you know. So she was just telling me like how she's working in this office and they have a lift so like it's accessible for her as a wheelchair user but when the fire alarm went off and the the lifts were like blocked then she became disabled in that Mm. office you know yeah so it's like it's all about the tools we give people to like thrive and i think it's really important that we stay open on these subjects and also mental health and you know disabling situations where there's a lot of pressure applied to people and people with like mental health conditions can struggle to like be in certain environments or you know uh, people on the autistic spectrum for example and venues and like what's done to make sure everybody is comfortable and and can be part of that it's it's hard to like Mm. find a meeting point for everyone to thrive but at least we think about it so yeah yeah do you think it is improving i mean i looked at the statistics it was like i can't remember how much growth it was like i think it was it was like three percent improvement or something over which hmm. and when i read it i was like that's not that's not good enough <laughs> that's not good enough <laughs> at all not in this day and age like we're basically in the future of like our history i think so things could be moving a lot quicker but i think that you know, it is like there's a lot of like cost benefit analysis in our society. And sometimes it's just easier to leave like oppressed people oppressed 
and not make those improvements that we need to make to enable everyone. Also, because then it increases competition. Like if people have access to resources and can actually apply for roles and pursue their careers, then that means that there is more people aspiring to those roles. So in a lot of way, like leaving uh, people disengaged is easier for people who already hold power positions i think but i think a good start for us like it's like you know little like emotional people who care about stuff is to like just apply it to like our daily lives and like just try to put ourselves in other people's positions Mm. and understand and you know be more open but it's never gonna tackle everything but I think being aware of that and asking for change, even though it's not change that we need, because, you know, disabilities in certain aspects is not something that, you know, affects me directly. But because I have other experiences, I can point things out and say, you know, I noticed that. And in the arts is especially important to me right now uh, that these things are implemented um, and, and everyone can engage. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in terms of um, gender, I wanted to talk to you about the pledge, the music festival pledge to have 50-50 split of male and female artists. I think it's by 2020. By 2020. There's so I many can't remember, things I can't remember what year it was. Um, but I just wanted to know what you thought about that because for me, as soon as I heard it, I it didn't like sit well mm. with me to have like, just ticking a box to be like, that's yeah 50-50. Surely as as long as there's the sort of equal opportunity. Yeah. Mm. Because if you've got sort of, if, if you have a festival that's, I don't know, like a, a rock festival, the goal should be surely to open up opportunities for more girls to get into rock music and yeah. to then be the future role models rather than just forcing a rock festival to mm. tick a box and have 50-50. Because that would be, I would assume, incredibly difficult. I think that, well, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> I think that your argument is really valid. I don't necessarily think, but in the same way as like, if I was trying to organize an event and trying to like hire people for that event, what would I look at? But I do think that it's important to think to realize like there are some assumptions that organizers make about who is qualified to do a certain thing. I think that pretty much across all genres, there's enough women in music. Like there's a lot of women in music, even though they might not be recognized or signed to labels. I think there's a lot of emerging talent. And for headliners, it might be different. But when it comes to, you know, smaller independent artists, I think it can be really useful to like force people to consider Mm you know engaging or like hiring certain acts and it's in the way in a certain way the same way as like equality monitoring in companies you know why do I have to tell people that I'm black you know why and sometimes I do sometimes I don't but I do think that I don't think anyone who isn't black should be disadvantaged or like not considered just because they don't aid the diversity but it does matter because it's something to consider when thinking about what can people bring into this space that is a perspective that isn't being represented. And I think that 
in a in a festival, for example, it would add a lot of value, not just to the lineup, but also to other women seeing women on stages. Because mm, I think definitely. that's how men get into things a lot is by seeing other men. Like pretty much every skateboarder I know has some sort of idol that they look up to and have watched all videos on. So having that, you know, visibility helps inspire other women. So I think it should focus more on inspiring other women. I don't think it should be something forced to be done. Mm. But to have that goal of considering women, because maybe an organizer might think, have an unconscious bias that like women are not as good playing an instrument, for example, which mm. a lot of people have. I was just talking to Jelly Cleaver. She's an amazing jazz songwriter. And people just see her with her guitar and assume that like she's a singer when she's a producer like a songwriter she plays the piano she's been songwriting since she was seven so people underestimate women's ability Mm. and that's why they don't get involved as much I think when it comes to like not headliners necessarily but you know smaller come up and coming artists Mm. I think it's because I hate the idea of some like no doubt like guy like on his laptop being like oh better like email some female artists <laughs> gotta got hit this quota <laughs> rather than thinking like yeah oh these these female artists would be great for the festival yeah. but maybe that's just me being too sort of like romantic about how <laughs> it should be i think people should just think differently in their own heads yeah because if they think differently they will get those women on their lineups anyway yeah because they're there you know, so it's all about being open to that idea. And, mm. you know, hopefully with time, like women in music will start making their voices louder and louder. And I'm part of that movement so that it will just be in everyone's faces. And then they won't have to really dig very deep mm. to find talent, like female talent. Yeah. And what's been at the, because whenever I think of sort of the arts and diversity, the Roundhouse is a venue that always springs to mind immediately and nearly every podcast I have we end up talking about how great they are I love the so roundhouse. what's um being like one of the roundhouse artists been uh, like and what can other venues sort of learn from the roundhouse do you think I think I think the roundhouse is really great and I don't even know if they tried that hard like it seems like it comes so naturally to them to have a diverse roster of artists there mm. I think as we mentioned earlier about diversity, it all starts like really early on. And because they're a charity that works for with like 11 to 25s, I think it's about opening up opportunities from a young age and recruiting not just young boys, but also young girls or like non-binary people and enabling them. They also work a lot with like underprivileged backgrounds. Um, so you get like, poorer kids as well accessing these high-end facilities so being able to engage with like such a high-spec venue at a young age when you maybe that's not what you see every day is what then creates like the next generation of artists and I think it is all about that like reaching out to people across from different backgrounds and like across the board and then naturally like they'll engage and if they see that when they get there you know, they're not the only person that looks like them or comes from the same neighborhood as them. Then they'll tell their friends and like people will start feeling comfortable. It's an accessible venue. They have a very good, you know, understanding of like mental health. They work with different charities. So it is about that. And I think in music, a lot of the time, new organizations just think about 
what's cool. Like, what's the coolest partner that we can have? Yeah. And it's not like that. Like, talk to charities who focus on these issues and get them involved in your festival, get them involved in your programming. And then that's how you reach out to the right people, I think, and, and make it a more inclusive environment. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. Because whenever I've been to the Roundhouse, it does, you just instantly get that vibe of, oh, these, are guys, these guys are just doing things. We're just like properly, holding hands like, and like making circles. and Even just the staff, they're all just really happy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the little things, but it's like the, the fact they're working in this sort of environment probably just bleeds into them and you look up on the wall and it's like, oh, like one pound DJ lessons for kids. And yeah. It's just amazing. It's very They're financially just... accessible. You know, hiring like space from like one pound, two pounds an hour. Like it's great. You get access to a tech room. You've got everything there. They have a radio. They do filming. And they invite different artists. Like at all levels in their careers, you always find different music at the roundhouse, mm. which is good because sometimes, you know, people like to focus on like, let's do this all about one genre or like one scene. Um, but the roundhouse doesn't have that. It's all about branching out, you know, experimental stuff, like the theater, the circus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I love it. It's really good. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's good examples there. Nice. Right, I'm conscious of time, so I've got to move on to some um, yeah. questions we've had on. Oh, Social right. media. I've had like two really silly questions from my friends. I mean, and I'm yeah, like, there's always just like, <laughs> people always just message in being like, oh, can I be your drummer or something? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, who is your favorite rapper? Oh my God. Ah. <laughs> Feel free to name a few. I okay. Uh, definitely Bahamadia. Like, She's amazing. She still spits fire. It's incredible. I really like Ladybug Mecca from Diggable Planets. Like Diggable Planets as a collective are oh, really, 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 really cool. Oh, man. Five from A Tribe Called Quest. Mm -hmm. uh, John Wayne. I love nice. John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> like John Wayne really inspired me a oh, lot. Really? Like just the emotion in his rap like I could tell like we've been through a lot of similar things in like different contexts so those are like just a few I guess right nice um dream collaborations uh childish Gambino sick forever <laughs> <laughs> I mean he allegedly said he's gonna stop making music I'm like no <laughs> really I'm doing this just for this collab um I, th I just I just love the wake in my love like it it awakened my love <laughs> <laughs> and I like that he's done different things and had different sounds and I love that he he's acts. done everything <laughs> yeah that's the thing I like Crazy. renaissance kind of people who just have so much like mm -hmm. to give okay nice um who are you listening to at the moment hmm well I've been listening to quite a bit yeah I bet <laughs> Um, I've been listening to like a lot of Bandcamp releases. Mm, so, yeah, I love Bandcamp. So yeah, like digging, digging through like some really amazing music. But uh, generally, I've been listening to like August Green, which is like mm. a project with uh, Common and Robert Glasper. And then who else was in it? Someone at Karim Riggins and Milo, who's a, a rapper. He also has an alias Callops Hotel. Really, I really, really dig that. I've been listening to <laughs> a lot of Jungle Pussy, which is like 
my kind of go-to hectic female rap. And she's really amazing. She had like recently a release. Um, and my favorite song from there is probably like mm, Showers. I think it's called Showers. It's like showered with my chains on. Had a shower with my chains on. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> check it out. Yeah, she's a funny lady. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one for the podcast. <laughs> um Okay, so who do you think would be a good um future guest on this podcast? <laughs> I definitely think um for the you know, the times and her upcoming release, Jolly Cleaver is definitely someone who can talk a lot more about things that are going on right now. And she's an amazing, you know, songwriter. And I think that uh, the Dream Jazz Manifesto that will be her release is going to like do really well. So I think that... That's an amazing title. Yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> what? Yeah, she's, she's really cool. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, she'd be one. Cool. Right. Well, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for it's having me. It's been a pleasure. Me. And yeah, just if you let everyone know when the new EP is out again. Uh, 16th of May. Cool. Right. Looking Check forward it out. to it. <laughs> Thank thanks. you. Cheers. Bye.